listening to a podcast by Real Church and Pastor Noah Fritchie in Murfreesboro, Illinois. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Enjoy, and God bless. We've been in a really good season here at the church. We're over the uh, past several weeks, we've really been focusing on your relationships and talking about how do we make our relationships better? Because we know what the world gives us, the world's standard of relationships just isn't the right way to do things. In fact, uh, we're looking at God's standard and what God has to say about relationships. And that's why we've called this series Uncommon Love, because the way God does it versus the world is so different. It's not common to us anymore. And so we've been in this teaching series called Uncommon Love. So if you've missed the past couple weeks, let me catch you up because we're in part four of this teaching series that where we've gone really verse by verse through the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is an Old Testament book. It's a very hard, uh, very hard book to understand, a difficult book to understand. It's written in different uh, allegories or pictures. And uh, because of that, it's, it's difficult to understand. But what we've been doing over the past several weeks, we've just been going chapter by chapter through the book of the, through the book of the Song of Solomon and I've just been doing my best to bring you and to really de- decipher what uh, that book is all about and here's really what we know and what we've learned over the past couple weeks is that this Song of Solomon Solomon wrote this book with one detail one thing in mind what he wants us to get out of this book is that not only is God's way of love good But it's so much better than the world's way that if we would just follow God's way of love and relationships, we could have such a better life. In fact, we have a a verse, our theme verse is from the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, that just says this. It says, Solomon's Song of Songs. This just meaning that this is the best of the best. He's saying that this is the best of the best that I've ever wrote. And uh, this is his wife saying, just sets up the book by just saying this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Solomon's wife is talking about him here. And she says, for your love is more delightful than wine. What she's saying here at the beginning is the way Solomon loves is so much greater than anybody else. He says, she says that it's, it's his love is more delightful than a fine wine. He's just so much better. In fact, uh, she goes on to say, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your, your name is like a perfume poured out. What she's saying here is not, not that he probably didn't smell good, but what he, what, what she's actually saying here is that wherever he goes, there's just, there's, the room is different when he walks in. Because he loves people well, people are excited to see him. People want to be with him. In fact, that's what, that's what she finishes it up and says, no wonder everybody else wants you. No wonder all the ladies are in love with you because you just know how to love well. Which by the way, church, that's our goal. We want to know how to love well. As Christians, not just in the relationship with our spouse, we, we, as Christians, we need to be able to love people well, whether it's at home, whether it's in the workplace, whether you're at school, you just need to know how to love people well. Everywhere we go, we should be loving people well, just like Solomon, just like the, uh, Solomon's wife said about Solomon. So if you missed the past couple of weeks, let me catch you up really quick. In fact, the first week, uh, we, uh, we really uh, attacked this topic of attraction. We said the first week that there's really so much more to attraction than just physical attraction. Everybody's looking and thinking about the physical attraction, but there's so much, the attraction is so much deeper than that. If you missed that, I would encourage you to watch that message online and rewatch it or listen to the podcast. 
The second week, we talked about, okay, so now that I'm attracted to somebody, how do I begin to date them? And we talked about what biblical dating looks like, which is very different uh, than dating in, uh, in our world today. And then last week, we talked about a very interesting topic. We talked about Solomon and his wife's, his, their honeymoon night. They get married, and honestly, what we talked about last week, uh, we talked about how to have great godly sex. And uh, if you missed that week, it was an interesting week. I'd encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to that, because uh, I, we, we talked about last week that the devil didn't create sex, God did. And so it's actually a good thing, it's a gift from God that in many ways has been perverted by the devil. Which, by the way, that, I, I think that was an important message for our church and, and for us in general, just because I believe that was, that's a message that really needs to be taught in church, not the locker room, everybody. The, lo- the locker room and every, the world defines what, what sex is, and it's something that I think uh, the church needs to do better at talking about. In fact, if you hear, the, if you hear that word sex mentioned in church, you probably have only ever heard it in the context of don't and stop, you know, like, <laughs> like just, just get rid of it, and that's, that's not the case. Uh, I, there's several scriptures you'll learn if you want to watch that uh, from last week. But today, we're jumping in uh, to the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, where the couple has their first fight. So, they make love, and now they're arguing right, right, right away, and uh, so we're going to jump into this. In fact, I just say, let's get ready to rumble, everybody. Here we go, and uh, here's what, here, we're jumping into this, and it says this. It says, this is uh, his wife talking here off the bat. Solomon's wife says, I slept, but my heart was awake. You ever feel that way sometimes? Like you're sleeping, but you're not sleeping. I, I, I've got my eyes closed, but I'm still awake. You know why she was like this? Well, we find out why she was like this because the next verse says, listen, my lover is knocking. Meaning she's at home, it's later at night. She's at home by herself, asleep. And she's, she might be sleeping, but her heart is awake thinking about Solomon. Here's what we know. We know she's at home and Solomon isn't there. It's late at night and we don't know why he's not there. We can guess, maybe he was working late. I don't know, maybe Solomon was out playing cards with the guys. So, you know, I, I don't know why he was out. But essentially, he's not there, and she's upset. And they're getting ready to duke it out, everybody. Which, by the way, I would say that all relationships, every single relationship that we have, we all have conflict. We, we can't avoid conflict. In fact, if the goal of your relationship is to never have conflict, you're going to fail. I mean, you're just going to epically fail all the time. The goal isn't to not have conflict. I think the goal of relationships and what I'm going to talk to you about today is how do you, when you do have conflict, how do you fight right? What's the right way to fight? Because can I just tell you this morning, you're going to fight. <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. You're just going to fight. Me and Emily fight. In fact, I think it's hilarious uh, how this works, but um, I'm preaching a message on conflict. Uh, I, I preached it last night, and then again, of course, this morning. And this weekend, I'm preaching that message on conflict. And guess what? Yesterday, Saturday morning, we woke up in conflict. <laughs> I mean, it was just, we, we're, we're arguing and, and, and fussing with each other on our way to church, everybody, while I'm trying to come and teach you how to not have conflict. I, I just, I'm just telling you that you're going to fight. I mean, Emily and I fight. Emily and I, we, we, have, our, we have our little fights. I mean, uh, the other day I had Emily on the floor. She was crawling on her hands and knees. Uh, she was crawling under the bed to get me to say, come out and fight like a man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, 
I thought that was a good one. Here's a, you're just going to fight, right? I mean, you're going to fight, and, uh, but here's the deal. You need to fight right. You need to learn how to fight right. In fact, um, Scripture, this, this goes on to say that he, he says, Listen, my lover is knocking. So Solomon now is at the door. He's at home. And, and, and he says, he, he shouts at her through the door and says, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. If you recognize those words, if you were here last week, that's the same words he said on his honeymoon night. So what does this mean? I, I think Solomon, not only is he home late, but he's home late and he wants some love in everybody. Like, like, like he's won some sugar tonight. And so he, not only is he, I mean, he's in the doghouse, but he, he's coming home and he, he wants it, which by the way, that happens to me all the time. I mean, I have to tell Emily all the time, like, listen, baby, I'm just tired. Like not tonight. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, how many of you would believe that? I don't, <laughs> I don't think you'd believe that. Hey, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can laugh in church like that. <laughs> you can laugh, everybody. It'll be all right. <laughs> but that, that, that's what, what he's coming home. He's home late and he wants some loving. And uh, he says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. That's how we know that he's out late, by the way. And then it goes on to say, uh, she, she responds and she's like, oh, you want some love, and that's too bad. I'm, I'm already, I'm in bed, everybody. She says, I've taken off my robe. I put, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? I think that's Hebrew for I got a headache. Uh, yeah, like, not tonight. Uh, and that's what, and he didn't like this response because I guess he's in the, he's in the mood and everything else. And he, here's what he says. He says, or he says this. He says, my, my, or it, he doesn't say this. It says, my lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. What does he do? What does that mean? Well, that's Hebrew for he punched his hand through the door, everybody. Like, I mean, he, he, he's upset. She's not letting him in, and so he punches his hand through the door. And the Bible says that, she, this is her talking here, she says, my heart began to pound for him. So they're upset. They're, they're in some conflict. He's, he's, he's punched through the door. And so she decides, really, I think in this story, she decides to be the bigger person. And so she gets up and she's going to open the door. She arose to open for my lover and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh. This is all just a picture that she's sorry, essentially. And so she goes to meet him at the door uh, on, the, on the handles of the lock. And it says, I opened for my lover. She opened the door, but he's not there. My lover had left. He was gone. And then look what happened. She says, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him. He wasn't there. Looked around. I couldn't find him. I called him, but he didn't even answer. And so they have their first fight. And I want to talk to you about this because the simple fact is, is that you're going to fight. I want to bring you a simple message today that I really do believe can help you in situations like this. But in order for me to bring you um, this message today, I just need to set up one thing, or actually three things that aren't in your notes. Because I, I actually believe, I'll give you three things really quick, 
that I believe if you apply these things, you can be more successful in the job, with your kids, with your family, not just in the relationship with your spouse, but you need to understand three phases of relationships. And we've talked a little bit about this before. I want to bring these back to you. Here's the first phase of a relationship is the honeymoon phase. In fact, uh, I was studying this word this week. When you really think about honeymoon here, I, I mean, honeymoon, of course, is just two words, honey and moon there. And uh, when you break that down, honey, of course, is sweet. And moon, if, we, if you know anything about the moon, the moon lasts, the, the, the cycle of a moon is about a month. It's about, it's actually 29.5 or 4 or something. It's, 20, it's 29 and something days. So it's about a month. And so really what, the, what a honeymoon phase of any relationship is just, uh, it was nice for about a month. Like it was sweet for a month. It was sweet for a while. And then after 30 days, uh, it, it's over. Like I, I found out what this relationship is all about. Maybe for you, it was, you thought you married Prince Charming, uh, but you found out you married his horse or something, you know, <laughs> like you, you're, you're finding out more and more about them. And really this, this, so you have this really sweet, awesome phase, but that phase moves into this second phase, which is just disillusionment, which just meaning that it, it was all an illusion. Meaning that once, once you got past the honeymoon phase and you're learning a little bit about each other, I'm finding out some things that you never told me before. I'm finding out that you've got some habits that I really didn't know about and I really don't like. I'm finding out, I, like, like I went through all this premarital counseling and this didn't come out in premarital counseling, everybody. Like I'm just now finding this out about you. Um, in most relationships, can I just tell you this? Most relationships never survive this phase. We have a world of people who love to be and only want to be in the honeymoon phase. But when they get to this phase, when they're actually learning about each other, they, they can't really stick it out. You know why? It's because we're disillusioned. Yeah, it, it, while, while we're in that phase, we're also, we're also captured by another illusion that there's someone else somewhere else that is perfect. We think that, 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 okay, now that I've found out the bad things about my spouse, well, I see this other person out here who looks perfect. And, and, and all of a sudden, really, the simple fact is, is that nobody is perfect. And it's, it's simply not true that there's perfect people out there. In fact, I would just challenge you, if you get close to anyone, every person you think is perfect is not everybody. Like, listen, I, I, somebody asked Elizabeth a couple months ago, they asked, what is it like to live, or what is it like to have a, a, a Noah as your brother, as a pastor? What's it like to have him as your brother? And I, I'm pretty sure her response was just, you don't want to know. Like, 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 like you, you really, it's all right. Like, it's not as good as you think it is. You know why? Because it's an illusion. Because, it, listen, you spend three days with me, and you're going to find out that I'm just a regular guy like everybody else. You know, it, I, I'm not perfect. It, it's just an illusion. And so many of us, we're just disillusioned. And the only way, the only way to ever have a successful relationship is to go past this phase, is to make it through this phase, and to do this, to make a commitment. And you're going to hear this a lot today. In fact, you're going to hear this a lot next week as we wrap up this series. Because every relationship needs a strong commitment. That's the only way that you're going to make it out. Because this couple actually, when we study this story, this couple actually becomes a model for us. One that I think all of us want to be like. Um, you see, even as you see how they settled this fight today, even as we watch and see how they settled this fight, uh, it's actually a model for you and me. In fact, the reason that they were able to settle this fight is because they 
got to number three. They made a commitment. And here's the cool thing is that they didn't only make a commitment to themselves, but they also recognized that they made a God a God, a God given commitment. They, they made a, they made a God covenant, a commitment. And they were, they, they were just, they just decided that even though they had an argument, even though there was conflict in their, in their relationship, they were going to handle it in a godly way. In fact, honestly, what they did was they just, I think this couple did a great job at making some decisions before the fight. In fact, they just, I, I put this in my notes. I'd love for you to write this down. It's a simple fact that choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. Listen, they didn't let the situation that they were in dictate who they were. Instead, this couple that we're going to find out here made some pre-fight decisions. Which, by the way, in every relationship that you're in, you need to make some pre-fight decisions. In every relationship that I'm in, I, with, with my staff, with my family, with my friends, I've settled some things in my heart even before they happen. And I'm just encouraging you to do the same thing today. In fact, as we study this text, I think we see three pre-fight decisions that this couple makes that makes it where the world, you're going to find out at the end, the world literally throws a party for them because of how great they handled their conflict. And before, before we get into those three things, I want, to, uh, I want to remind you of some of the ground rules that we've set for this series. Many of you know them, so I'm just going to give them to you really quick. First, anytime we talk about relationships, Here's what you need to know, because these, these relationships are difficult. You need to understand that when we're in a relationship message, that you need to hear it for yourself, not for the person next to you. Don't be elbowing your spouse. Don't be elbowing your lover or whatever. Uh, you need to hear it for yourself and uh, just listen to it for yourself. Second is, especially in this area, especially as we talk about commitment, don't be looking back. Don't look back. Because we all have a past. Listen, we all have some cleaning up to do. Many of us have made commitments, and those commitments have not worked out. And, and we, we've come from a broken home. We, maybe we, 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 we come from just this broken family. Listen, I don't want you looking back. I'm telling you, from this day forward, Jesus can make you new. He can give you a fresh commitment. He can make you new. So don't be looking back. And number three, this is one that I'm adding for you today. It's the simple fact that as we talk about how to settle conflict today... You need to understand that normal people can't do this. Normal people can't do this. You have to, what I'm going to talk about today, you have to have the power of God working in your life to settle this type of conflict. And you're going to see that today. And so let's jump into it. Let's get started. The friends, here's what happens. The friends speak up and say, so Solomon and his lover, they've had this fight. And the friends uh, speak up in this story. And they, they're basically making fun of the relationship this couple has had. Because, by the way, the couple has had a pretty awesome relationship up to this point in this story. And then uh, and the friends have been like, wow, that's so awesome. But then when they fight, the friends kind of turn their back on them and is like, hey, I knew you were like everybody else. In fact, here's what they say. They're, they're kind of mocking her. They're saying, oh, where has your lover gone? Where's Solomon at? Where, where has he gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? So they're just kind of making fun of him here. And then she, she responds, or they're, they're making fun of her here, saying, your relationship isn't all that great. I knew it. I knew your relationship wasn't all that great. And then she responds by saying, my lover has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. Which you're like, that's different. Um, but here, here's, here, here's what it's talking about here. Solomon 
After the fight, it says that he went down to this garden. Now Solomon, he's, he's not a florist, everybody. This is an allegory. This is a picture. Just meaning that he didn't overreact to what happened. In fact, this is really a picture saying that he, he let his spirit settle. In fact, what most scholars believe this garden is, most scholars believe that this garden was Solomon's place of prayer. You have a place of prayer at your house or just somewhere that you go to just really connect with God. That's what Solomon had here. It was, it was his garden. So, so what happens? He, he knew Solomon, he knew he made a mistake by punching through the door, right? And so I, I think the great thing that happens with Solomon is since he knew he made that mistake, you know what? If you really think about it, he could have took it a lot farther. He could have punched through the door and then kicked the whole door down. And then he could have came in like so many of us when we're aggravated. We, we come in and we, and we start yelling at each other. We start saying demeaning things. He could have came in. He could have kicked the door down and came in and, and said demeaning things about her. He could have yelled at her. He could have, he could have started to hit her. Or I don't know what he, he could have. He could have done a lot of things here. All the things that a lot of people do in a fight. But that's not what he does. He recognizes that he made a mistake and so he retreats to his garden, which is a place of prayer and a place of peace for him. And he responds in a completely different way than the world's way. Which, by the way, her, then, then because he responds like that, look at her response to his response. Her response is, because he, because he went to the garden, she essentially says, man, I'm attracted to this guy. Like, even the way that he fights, I'm attracted to him. He sa- she says, I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. He's not, she's not upset that he's gone. She actually respects that he, she, he left the fight to browse among the lilies. He res- she, she loves him more that she, that because he didn't take it to the next step. In fact, this, this guy doesn't relax. She, she's just essentially saying, she's telling her friends that this guy isn't like all the other guys. He doesn't react like all the other guys. Which, by the way, this really convicted me this week. Because if you know anything about me, I, I feel like I'm a, really, I, I'm a type A personality. I feel like oftentimes I can be very aggressive. I feel like I'm always thinking about something. And I'm always just, I always just want to be active. And uh, that's just who I am. And so in, in a relationship, that can be a good and a really bad thing as well. And not only that, but I speak for a living, and I think I'm okay and pretty good with my words. And uh, because of that, here's what I know. I know that when me and Emily get into arguments, listen, Emily cannot win in a war of words with me. She, I, I, I just can rip her to shreds when it comes to that. Like I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not proud to say that that's happened before. Which, by the way, I, I, just, I, I say that because I think that's another example of the gift God gave me, but the devil perverted I, the devil perverted that gift to destroy someone else. You get what I'm saying? God, you have God-given gifts on the inside of you. God has given you awesome gifts. But just because he's given you great gifts, don't you ever doubt that the devil can use those gifts and use those gifts for evil to destroy someone else. And he'll, he'll do that. He, he's done that. He, he's done that oftentimes with me. And truth be known, uh, that's how most men handle things. In fact, when, when I get in a war of words with Emily, the devil just uses my God-given gifts to destroy her, which to, to destroy, by the way, another God-given gift that she is to me. Emily's a gift from God to me. And, and the, devil uses it, the devil uses my words to destroy that gift as well. And that's, and that's the truth. In fact, 
Uh, what, what I was saying here, truth be known, the, the simple fact is, is that most men respond in that very aggressive way. That when there's conflict in the home, most men, are either re, well, you either respond in a very aggressive way, but there are also some men out there that respond in a very passive way. And they just totally check out of the situation. They don't want to be a part of it anymore. And so you say, well, if those are the wrong responses, then what is the right response? Well, I think Solomon shows us the right response. I think what Solomon is showing us here, he's teaching us a lesson. And it's simply this, is that you need to commit to acting, not reacting. I will act, not react. You know, the word react just simply means to reenact what the other person did. Oftentimes, when we get into arguments, when we get into conflict with somebody, what do we want to do? We just want to give it back, right? You said those mean things about me, so I'm going to say those mean things about you. I mean, we live in this world that, that, I mean, I think it's just the pattern of the world. Like, hey, if you do this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. We all have this justice mentality of, hey, it's not fair. If they get to do that, then I should be able to get to do that. Or, or if they say that about me, then I'm going to say that about them. And oftentimes, that's what our relationships look like. We start saying all these things about each other. If you're going to do this, if you're coming home late every night of the week, then I'm coming home late every night of the week. Or if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. And, and, and we just, it's not fair. We have this mentality of it's just not fair. In fact, uh, we, we do this all the time in relationships. Me and Emily, we have this same, same issue. Emily oftentimes, to get to me, uses something very evil and created by the devil called the silent treatment. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is from the devil. Because I, I, what I want to do is talk about it, everybody. I just want to talk it out. No, oh, no, she'll, she'll be silent. And so because she does that, guess what? I, I, I reacted, and, and this is the wrong way to do it, so this is how not to do it, everybody. But I reacted, and I'm like, you know what? If she's going to do that to me, then I'm going to do it to her. And so one night we were, we were aggravated at each other for some reason. We're, we're laying in bed and we're like on the opposite sides of the bed. You know what I'm talking about? Like we, we got our backs facing each other and, uh, and, and I'm just kind of kicking the covers just so that she knows I'm still awake and mad. You know, like I, I'm not asleep. I'm just, I'm just being silent. You know, I, so we're, we're, we're doing that. And, and I think that I'm punishing her. But later on, I found out that it really wasn't a punishment, everybody. She was actually pretty happy with just me being silent. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, just, but, but, but the fact, you, you know, well, I, I, I wanted her to know that I was still awake and she was kind of doing the, she wanted me to know that she was still awake. And, and so, and then uh, we, 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 you ever do this move? Like if you're in that situation, wait, I, I did this move of just going, I'm just laying there and going, and then, you know, like I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still mad at you and I'm not saying anything, but I, and then she does it right back. So I, I go, she goes, and I go, and we're just getting louder and louder. We're going back and forth. But we're not going to say, I'm not saying the first word, right? I, I, I'm, in fact, I heard about a couple that did the same thing. Uh, they, they were giving each other the silent treatment. And the man, he didn't want to lose first, of course. And uh, so he left a note on his wife's pillow as he went to bed and said, hey, I've got a flight uh, at 5 a.m. in the morning. Can you just wake me up at 5 a.m. to get to my flight? And uh, he woke up the next day. It was like 9 a.m. And he is aggravated. Like he, 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 he's really mad. He's ready. He is ready to go yell at her and just let her have it. And then as he was getting up out of bed, he found a note on the side of the bed that said, hey, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. 
how silly, I, Lord, help, help us, Lord, everybody. You know, like, how silly is that? Like, I, if, do, we really, do we really do that? I, I, I'm, just, I'm just here to tell you, and I, I, I give you my mistakes because I know, that, I know that you go through it too. But here's the deal. As, as, as people of God, as people of God who love Jesus, uh, listen, us people of God, We've got to do it differently. We find a different way. We, we don't fight all night. That's not, that's not what we do. No, we do it differently. And I just got convicted this week as I was preparing for this message. And listen, I, as I was convicted, I just made a fresh commitment to God and to Emily that, that I, I just essentially said, you know what? I know I overreact sometimes, but you know what? I want to be more like Solomon. That when, when, I get, when I get upset and frustrated, I want to go to my place of prayer. I want to go to my garden. I want to go pick some lilies, everybody. Like, I, 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 I need my place of solitude. And I'm going to go set until I'm, until I'm over it. And, uh, and then I'm going to come back so that we don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to play these games all night. I don't have to go to work upset. I don't have to live the rest of my day frustrated. No, I'm going to go to my place of solitude and figure it out. It's a pre-fight decision that you need to make make. And then I found this verse um, in my Bible reading this week. I found a verse that really has me messed up on this same topic here. So as Christians, we're called in in the New Testament, it talks about specifically in 2 Corinthians, it talks about that when we are made new, when we give our life to Jesus, the Bible says that you're transformed into the image of Jesus. You're supposed to be like him. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus has a standard, everybody. And he has a standard that is very reachable when you have his power living inside of you. In fact, if we're supposed to look like Jesus, what did Jesus do when he faced conflict? What did Jesus do when, when, they, said, when they said horrible things to him? Look, it says that they, they hurled, while Jesus was on this earth, they hurled their insults at him. But what did he do? He didn't retaliate. No, when he suffered... He, he didn't want the other people to suffer. No, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself, or he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What did Jesus do when it came to conflict? What did Jesus do when they said horrible things about him? He gave it to God. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He says, you know what? God, you can take care of this. I don't have to take care of this. In fact, look at what Romans, Romans 12 verse 1 or verse 21 says. It says this. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm just calling you out this morning. I'm calling every one of us who says that I'm a Christ follower. You need to respond in this way. Respond in a healthy way. You say, well, what is the proper response? Well, don't pay evil with evil. No, overcome evil with good. Here's the proper response. I just want to give you two things under this point that you can write down. And I'm really quick. Love and respect. I think that's a great way to respond. In fact, you see it in this story. I don't have time to read all the way through this story for you. But what you see in this story, first of all, is that, uh, and we're going to skip these verses here, is that it... As, as they meet back together, as, as Solomon and his, and his wife meet back together, uh, Solomon's wife says a lot of things that just call out, really respect and honor him. She says a lot of respectful things to him, and, he, and she honors him. Which, by the way, I think that's what a man wants. I think, overall, a man really desires respect. Uh, and in the same way, what we're going to look at in this next verse is, is that um, she, then Solomon comes back, 
and says a lot of lovely things about his wife. They resolve the conflict by just, by just speaking life into them. And I, that's what I really do believe is that oftentimes if a man wants respect, a woman oftentimes just wants love. She wants to know that, you know what, I know you're upset, but you, you just need to let her know that, that, that you love her. In fact, while we're on love really quick, think about love and what it is. Love, I, I saw this definition, and I thought this was the greatest definition I've ever seen for love ever. It says this, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. When you think about that, of course, you quickly think about your spouse and how, yeah, your spouse is imperfect and you've got this unconditional commitment. But think about the love that God has for you. You're imperfect. you're, You're always going to be imperfect. You're never going to be perfect. But just because you're not perfect doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He still loves you just as much. He love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. So let's move on really quick and uh, let, let's see what, uh, what the next part of this story. Remember, I said uh, we, we didn't read the rest of the last chapter, but she spends a lot of time just calling out respectful things in him, respect and honor. And now he goes into this love response and uh, he literally goes into a word for word what he uses on his honeymoon night, everybody. And so I'm not going to read all these again. Here's a part of it. He says this. He says, you're beautiful. Excuse me, you're beautiful, my darling. Lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops with banners. What he's doing here is just, is just reassuring her of his, love, of his love for her. And now he gets very, I think this is interesting. He gets very intimate and passionate in the middle of this. He says this, he says, but my dove, my perfect one is unique. To which, if you've been in any relationship for a little while, you understand that your spouse is very unique. <laughs> uh, or, or, or you're, they're just very unique. We're all made unique. In fact, Solomon recognizes that. In the middle of the fight, Solomon recognizes that we're both different people. And we both have different traits. In fact, I would just say this to me and my wife. Are opposites. A lot of the times, we're opposites. It feels like I'm when I'm hot, she's cold. Everybody, like I, I, I want to save money. She wants to spend money. I'm outgoing. She's she's a, a quite more introverted. And uh, here's what I've learned: is that that can either irritate the fire out of you, or you can realize, you know what? I've realized that my ways aren't always perfect, and that I need Emily. I need my wife to compliment me. I need my wife to pull the uniquenesses, uh, to, to pull the unique things out of me. And I, I, I've actually been thanking God that my wife is unique. Can I just tell you that's what godly people do? Godly people recognize that we're not made exactly the same. We realize that, you know what? We're different and we're okay with that. We're, we're going to be all right with that. In fact, can I just tell you, like, back to my wife, I think if, if you had the opportunity, I think you would hate living with me. Like, when it comes to, I, I don't know, just the things that I do, like, I, I feel like I'm very, at home, I'm just very meticulous. I like things in order. I, my, my, my closet is color organized. Like, I, I just like things just to be a certain way. I, I'm frugal to a fault, I feel like. I can be really tight with money, but I also like to be generous, but there's a balance to that. Um, but I'm just like, a, I, I don't want to waste any money. Emily, she's not like that, everybody. Emily, she's just a very passive person. And uh, she, she's just way, like, to where I can be super intense all the time. She's just way more relaxed about things. Like, she's just always just so relaxed. Like, like me, like, okay, one of my pet peeves is the dishes. 
dishes being clean. Like, if there's dirty dishes, everybody. Like, I, I just, I, I want the dishes clean. And not only are the dishes clean, but like every dish counts, everybody. Like, wherever they're at, like, uh, oftentimes there's dishes all throughout our home. And there's like a cup in the bath, or there's a cup in the bedroom. And there's like a cup on the, uh, on the, on the table. And I, uh, all, so, you know, like Emily will wash like just the dishes that are in the sink. I'm like, God, we, we miss, we miss the, uh, all, every dish matters, everybody. That's just kind of how, how I am. But not to miss Emily, you know, not, not, not to her. Uh, she uses the famous words that I also think are from the devil. Uh, she says, well, they need time to soak. <laughs> yeah, soak. Never heard of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll I help me Jesus, you know. Like, uh, and she'll, she'll just look at me and kind of bat her eyes, you know, and, and just like, oh, I, I can't. Yeah, I guess we'll let them soak uh, this week. Uh, <laughs> I just, here, here's, here's the truth. At that point, I have a decision to make. I have, I, I have to decide, am I going to focus on the dirty dishes or am I going to think about the, the 10,000 reasons why Emily is the most incredible lady in my life? I have to decide. And, and, and listen, I can either hate the fact that she's not like me, or I can thank God that there's not two of us in the house, everybody, because I don't think I, don't think I would survive. Listen, God knew exactly what he was doing when he brought me everything that I am not. And so that's what, that's what, what, what do godly people do? Well, here's what we do. We focus on the good, not the bad. I know this is a really difficult one, especially when you're in conflict, because when, when people get upset and mad, man, there, some people go out like, you remember what you told me a year ago? You remember what you told me? You said this about me five years ago. You called me fat five years ago. You know, and it's like, what? Like you're, but that's natural. When, when we get into conflict with somebody, we remember all the horrible things about them, but that's not what godly people do. Godly people focus on the good, not the bad. And listen, you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. Listen, I can't change my spouse to be more like me. I, I simply can't. Instead, and, and can I tell you, if you're trying to do that, you will wear yourself out. If you're just trying to change your spouse to be like you, it will never work. You've got to, you've got to take a step back and you've got to begin to appreciate that they're different. Just begin to appreciate the things that they differ with you. And you know what? I've just made a choice and I'm going to focus on that which is good. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us to do. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, uh, it goes on to say, maybe, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. All those great things. Think about them. I, essentially what this, this, is, uh, this scripture really is talking about is controlling your thoughts. You, you, you've got to control your thoughts. You've got to control your mind. In fact, I read an article this week that talked, uh, talked a lot about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham had this great ministry, of course, back in the day. And uh, the article was talking about how Billy Graham spent seven months out of the year on the road doing crusades. Can you imagine that? Seven months out of the, out of the year. And this reporter came up to Mrs. Graham, his wife, and just asked, well, doesn't it bother you that, uh, that, that Billy's gone for so long? Doesn't it bother you that, that he's gone so much? 
And she responded, I put this in my notes. She responded by saying this, quote, five months with Billy is better than 12 months with any other man. You know why? Listen, she had a choice. She had a choice there. She could either focus on the seven months that he's not there, or she could focus on the five months that he is. She chose to focus on the good. And listen, that, I, I bring you that, and that's a drastic example, but you need to implement this in your life. I'm just asking you, as people of God, let's stop focusing on the bad, on, on the bad parts of our relationships. Stop focusing on that and start focusing on the good. All right? Let's move on. I'm going to give you the third idea here. And uh, let me set it up by giving you this scripture here. This is really how uh, the book ends. And I apologize in advance if this is a little confusing. I hope I can wrap it up at the end for you. But here's what happens. Uh, after, after they talk things out, they transition in this, in this part of the book by saying, I went down to the grove of the nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines have budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Essentially what they're doing here is they, they don't, what they're saying is that there has been a season that has passed. That the season of conflict that they were in, the this, this season of turmoil that they were in, they write this as a picture of just, hey, they endured the winter season. They endured the difficult season. They endured that conflict and the conflict has passed. And this is a symbol just, just meaning that they, they're getting past it. And listen, they had to work hard at it but they survived because they were people of God who made godly decisions. I think they knew how to fight right. In fact, it goes on to say, before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. And I don't have time to really get into lots of details here with you today. Um, but I, l- let me just give it to you in English here. Uh, this just meant that Solomon, when he talks about the chariots here, it's just meaning that he had his mind set. That he wasn't Essentially, what he's saying is that he wasn't looking anywhere else. When it came to his relationship, he had his mind, his focus was on his wife, and that they were going to work things out. In fact, then he calls out and he says, come back, come back, O Shulamite woman. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. And this is the first time you ever see this word in scripture. And Shulamite, what Shulamite is, is Shulamite is just essentially the female version, the female name for Solomon. So what Solomon does here is he says, okay, we've been through this conflict. Here's, he essentially is telling his wife, here's how committed I am to you. I'm so committed to you that I'm going to rename you to my name in feminine form. I'm going to give you my name, which is a symbol really of their relationship going to a new level. Here's what I want you to notice, that they didn't focus on just winning the fight. The Bible never talks about who won this fight and who was in the wrong. It doesn't, no, it doesn't talk about that. Instead, the focus was on resolution. The focus was on growing together. And that's what happened here. He renames her and uh, they, he makes this commitment of, you know what, I know that my goal isn't, isn't to be right. No, my goal is to fix my eyes on you and my goal is to love you and to be, my goal is to be committed to this marriage, to this relationship and to come into a greater friendship with you. And then the world chimes in and I think this is going to be a little confusing to you because it was a little confusing to me. But it says this, why would you gaze on the Shulamite as the dance of the maiden? So the friends again in this, the, the world is looking in on their relationship 
And essentially what is happening, this is in question form, and, uh, but really translated and in, in, in full context here, this just literally means that the world is literally, quite literally through a party. This, this word translated just means like a, a party. Essentially what's happening here is that the world is looking in on how they resolve that relationship, how Solomon went to the garden, how they spoke good things about each other. The world saw all that and then at the end they come in and they say, oh wow, you guys know how to do this. I've never seen anybody do it better. And so they, they essentially applaud their relationship. To which I just wanted, wanted to end today by just saying, I'm, well, listen, you're going to face conflict. If it's not with your spouse, it's with somebody in this world. And conflict is difficult. And I don't want to make it sound like it's not. That's not my job here today. Listen, a 30-minute message cannot fix or solve all your problems. I'm just asking you today, I think the best thing that you can do, your best next step, is to just open your heart to the power of the love of God in your life. Would you just let Jesus transform you into his likeness like we talked about? I'm just asking you, before the fight ever even happens, would you make some decisions? That when there is conflict, you decide, you know what? I'm, I, I'm going to act, not react. I, I, I'm going to, you know what? When conflict arises, I'm not, I'm not going to go forward on that. I'm not going to tear people down. I'm not going to tear the house up. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to be all frustrated and show it to my whole family. No. Instead, I'm going to go out to the garden. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to spend some time in, in, in solitude, in prayer. Would you just decide that? You know what? I'm not going to act, not react. And then would you decide, you know what? When it does come time to come back and talk things out, I'm going to focus on the good and not the bad. I'm not going to bring things up from years and years ago. I'm not going to bring things up from all your past mistakes and every bad thing that you've told me. No, I'm going to let those things go And I'm going to focus on the good characteristics about you. And I'm going to realize that, you know what? We're both made unique. We're both different than each other. And yeah, sometimes that might drive me a little bit crazy. But instead, I'm not going to look at it that way. And I'm going to look at all the great things that you do for me. I'm going to focus on all the great things, all the great traits that my wife does have. You know what I realized this week? I realized this personally. I can do without the dishes clean, everybody. I can do without. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting me. I can do without. You know why? Because I have a wife that is committed to seeking God with me, serving him with me. She serves our church in every way. She's in the basement serving your kids right now. She works to make ends meet. She's in school full time. Late nights, almost every night of the week up here with me taking care of me, you know what I decided? I can do without the dishes clean. I can put that away, and I can focus on the good, not the bad. I just want to encourage you to do that same thing in your life. In fact, there's a, there's a marriage counseling tactic that I read about this week that talks about how um, they said when, when you go, especially if you go in first time for marriage counseling, oftentimes they'll ask you, Name 10 things, give me 10 reasons why you love your wife or why you love your husband. And they say oftentimes they don't need any more counseling after that. 
They just need to realize that there's something so much greater. There's so much more important than the little thing that they're fussing over. Think about that for just a minute. And I want to give you, I, those, those first two are important, but I want to give you this last one. And uh, I think it's just as important for you to understand. It's simply this. I'm going to talk, not walk. Meaning, I'm not going to give up. And that's what Solomon was doing. When Solomon renamed her, when Solomon gave her his name, he, he just said, you know what? I'm committed to this relationship. Meaning that I'm just, you're, I'm a part of you forever. To which maybe some of you are in this room today and you've gone through the tragedy and pain and whatever it was for you of divorce. Maybe it was, maybe it was you, maybe it was in your family. And you come from this broken home and when I say things like commitment and not walking out, there's that sinking feeling in your heart again. I want you to remember the ground rules that we set. Remember that Jesus makes all things new. He takes care of your yesterdays. You can start fresh today. Remember that, I, listen, I'm not, when I talk about this, I'm not talking about your yesterday. I'm talking about from this day forward. How, how do we, from this day forward, make a commitment to be with each other, to, to, to stick together? Will you say, well, well, Pastor Noah, that just, are, are you just asking me to stay in this really miserable relationship? And this relationship that I, I feel like I can't, I can't do anything about? That's not what I'm asking you, everybody. What I'm asking you to do today, would you just consider something you've never had in your life? Would you consider inviting the power of God into that relationship to which you may have never had before? Can I tell you, when you invite the power of God into your life, if you actually had it, I am a firm believer that it can change everything. It can turn things around. But some of us, we've never experienced that before. In fact, I want to just close with some encouragement with you today. And in fact, if you're in this room, you might be saying, well, well Noah, what you're saying to me just sounds impossible. How do I do it? Well, I want to give you a little secret, a little thing that we learned from God on how to love people. A verse that especially convicted me this week that I wanted to leave you with. It just simply says this, whoever does not love does not know God. Think about that for a minute. You struggle with loving people? Do you truly have a relationship with God? You know why? Because God is love. In fact, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In fact, the Bible says that this is love. Not that we loved God, meaning that God sent his son even while you were a jerk to him. Even while you were cursing him. Even while you were walking away from him. He didn't have to do it. No, they, he, he didn't do it. He didn't do it because he didn't do it because we loved him. No, he sent his son because he loved us. In fact, it says, but, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It finishes it out and says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You know what? You know what that verse is telling us? Because God loved us in that way, because he loves us that much, now we have the capacity to love others. Think about it. 
I can't love other people if I don't know God. If I don't first have this relationship right, I can't get the rest of the relationships right. You want to love people better? You have to know God and you have to, you have to understand his love for you. Begin a relationship with him. I would just say experience the love of God for yourself because when you experience his love, it gives you the capacity to love everybody else. Would you pray with me today? Father, today we commit to loving you. God, we know what your word says. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to gain a better relationship with you so that we can love the people around us better. Lord, when it comes to conflict, so many of us have messed up. So many of us have walked away from relationships because of it. So many of us have just done the wrong thing. God, today, we lift up those things to you. We speak those things to you right now in Jesus' name. God, we say that we're sorry for for what we've done. We're sorry for the past mistakes that we've made. We're sorry for every time that we've gone too far and made those mistakes. Father, we ask for your forgiveness today. Lord, would you help us as we go through relationships? God, as as we walk through conflict, would you help us to make these decisions? God, help us to make the decisions to focus on the good, not the bad. God, help us to make the decision that, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to talk things out. We're not just going to walk away. We're not just going to shut down. No. Father, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk things out. Lord, would you just help us with those decisions? Lord, help us in every relationship that we're in, whether it's with our spouse or, Lord, whether it's with a coworker or friend or family member. Would you just help us to love people better? God, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son, even while we were hurting you and cursing you, you loved us enough to save us. It's so special. We love you and we thank you today in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're in this room and you haven't experienced the love of God for yourself, if you haven't committed your life to him, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord and that God, that, that Jesus died for your sins and that God rose him from the dead three days later, the Bible says that you can be saved. Today is the day that you can experience the love of God for yourself so that then you can have the capacity to love others. If that's you in this room and you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus, or maybe for you, it's I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I need a fresh start that's you in this room. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. You pray it and believe it. The Bible says you'll be saved. In fact, church, because you believe in this prayer, because we all believe in this prayer, would you all just repeat this after me? Say this, say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Would you give it up for all the people who prayed that prayer today? 
listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you would like to partner with us financially or you live in the Southern Illinois area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out realchurch.info.